The cost of going to medical school is rising all the time and has certainly risen significantly since I was there. And this is something that affects all future doctors, but in my not exactly unbiased opinion, it affects those from a working class background or those where they're the first doctor in their family disproportionately. And today we are joined by a podcast listener who has been in this situation and gives out some great tips. And I love this episode because this is just a normal listener, just like yourself, who wanted to come on and share their knowledge and their experience to help everyone else out. And we are all in this together and we can all help each other out. And the second reason why I like this episode is is something that I've hinted at a few times on the podcast coming from a normal working class background myself but I haven't exactly been explicit about it and I'm not really sure why, but today we get into the real details of the reality of training as a doctor if you just come from a normal family. So we cover so much. We talk about something really important called the Livable NHS Bursary Campaign. We talk about what finances you can get, what bursaries are available, how to fund your elective if you're on a budget, how to maximize your finances using all kinds of tricks like cash back and even choosing where you do your F1, how that can influence your finances. So thank you so much to the listener that came on and I love just being part of this amazing community that we built at Medics Money where everyone is just sharing what they know and I hope that this is useful for you and if you like the episode of course leave us a review and a rating. The Medics Money podcast helps doctors, dentists and other professionals make better financial decisions. Hosted by myself, Dr. Tommy Perkins, a GP. And by me, Dr. Ed Cantelow, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and chartered tax advisor. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute any form of advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. On today's podcast, I'm delighted to welcome a Medics Money podcast listener, Dr. Max Sugarman. Hi, Max. Hi, Tommy. Thanks for having me on. No, thanks so much for coming on. Your first podcast, I believe. It is, yeah. So a little bit nervous, but we'll be all right. Yeah, don't worry. You don't have any cats your end distracting you. And I do have Ed's cats crawling all over my computer, but that's my problem, (laughs) not yours. So can you tell us a bit about yourself and why you wanted to come on the podcast? Because we're really grateful for listeners like you and coming on. Yeah. So as I say, my name's Max. I'm currently an F2 working in Manchester, but I'm from Nottingham originally have been listening to the medics money podcast for a while and you know they're brilliant and they're so helpful but i you know got in touch with you because i think i felt like there was a talk to be had about helping medical students you know people in my kind of position at a bit of an earlier start in their career and you know trying to get that good financial skeleton you know to start on so i wanted to see whether there was any scope to talk about that Yeah, definitely. And it's something that we focus on, but it's been about 14 years since I was an F2, as you can see by the wrinkles and gray hair, over 14 years in NHS. (laughs) So it's really good to have your current experiences and tips about this. And I think it's going to be really helpful because things are tough out there at the moment for doctors. You know, we're having unprecedented real turns, pay cuts, the exams and training and GMC fees don't seem to be getting any cheaper. And that can be really, really difficult, especially if like 
me, you came from a normal working class family, basically. And I think that's similar for you. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So my dad is a personal trainer. My mum's a cleaner. So, you know, didn't come from a medical background at all. But to be honest, none of my family went to university. So it's a bit of a scary world, I think, when you first go to medical school. And there's a lot to adjust to because you're thrown into a completely different world. You know, a lot of people from my school didn't really go to university and, you know, some did, but it's certainly not the majority. So it was a different culture when I came to university and that has its financial implications as well. So, you know, it's a bit of a steep learning curve. Yeah. And I think it sounds very similar to my experience really is that we were taught nothing about our finances in medical school. And that's fine, I guess, because it's important to learn medicine at medical school. But, you know, I was forced to learn about my finances because of all the debt that I accumulated and not having any support from family, etc. It sounds similar experience for you. Is that right? Yeah. So from my position, my parents helped me with my rent. But other than that, we just kind of left to stand on your own two feet. And to be honest, when I was growing up, I always had a job, got my first job when I was 13. And then I've worked and I've always been employed in some form since then. I always did waitering before uni so I had a little bit of you know stuff that I put away before I went to university but by the time precious weeks over it doesn't cover very much so I held a job down throughout my whole time at medical school it got slightly more challenging towards the end for various family reasons illness in the family meant I wasn't able to work later on so you know things were tricky and had to apply for additional support and things which is something that I think we don't really talk about very much and especially as a medical student as a student doctor I think, you know, people often just expect that, you know, money is not really a problem. And, you know, that is the case for a lot of people, but not for everybody. And I think if we can open that dialogue a little bit more, it might make medicine a little bit more accessible to people. You know, you say if you come from that kind of background, it can seem like a barrier straight away and you may not even apply because six years at university and all of those fees can sound really daunting. Yeah, I think it's a massive barrier, to be honest, like. I was the first in my family to go to medical school and the debt and the costs is overwhelming when you know that you're going to have to repay it back. And my debt was more than my mum's first house was worth. And that's quite daunting. And I think it's good to have doctors from all different backgrounds. And if we are going to keep that happening, there's a few things that need to change. I don't know if you're aware about the livable NHS bursary campaign. And I know that you're going to tell us about that. I know a bit about it, but I'm keen to know more. But that's a big thing at the moment. But tell us about, you know, you talked about the expenses of medical school. Tell us about how much it actually costs these days and what you kind of did to manage that. Because you obviously did manage it and you're here. Yeah, just about. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the majority of people who are listening now are qualified doctors have already been through it. But for those who haven't or are starting off on their medical careers, you know, you've obviously got your tuition fees, which are you know, £9,000, £9,250 a year. Rent, which depending on where you live, you know, between four to £500 a month, if not a little bit more, and bills on top of that. One of the additional expenses for medical students, you know, is transport. We're on placement 40 weeks a year and particularly once you get into your clinical years that's a big expense and it can be very hard you know lots of medical students don't have cars are paying for public transport and get very small bursaries from the university if they're lucky to help cover transport costs so you know that's quite a big cost and then all your other bills on top of that phone food and also being able to enjoy yourself and not burn out from the stress of you know everything else that comes with being at medical school yeah. from day one you, you don't get some of the luxuries that some other courses get where it's a bit of a slower start into it you're often thrown in straight in there and exam straight away 
but you want to be able to go out and enjoy yourself a little bit as well. And, you know, that's really important to look after your well-being from that side. So, you know, you've got the fees that come with joining sports societies, various bits from that. So, you know, money is really important to be able to support yourself at medical school. As I say, for me, I worked in restaurants. I was a waiter while I was at university and I worked two or three nights a week, every week. And then I used to work full time when I came back in summer. It was manageable. Looking back, I think I maybe would have had a slightly different experience at university if I hadn't had to work because you know, naturally working in hospitality, you're working Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays, which are the days when everyone else is off. So, you know, if your friends were going out, you'd have to join late or not go out at all, which can all have knock-on impacts on maintaining friendships, but it has to be done. And you learn so much from waitering and you do get a social side from that as well. So I think it's, you know, whilst it has its negatives, there's a lot of positives to take from it as well. But it's something that I think it's hard to manage as a medical student when you're on placement in the day and you have to have a very understanding employer to, let's say you're running late from placement, for them to let you start a little bit later or be flexible with their shifts. You know, that's important. You have to be quite lucky with that. Yeah, I think it's really impressive that, so I did a undergrad degree first and I worked a lot during then, a lifeguarding basically, which was pretty good but then I did a four-year fast track in medicine and I did work in the holidays and occasional bits of work here and there but honestly I just had no time and I think that's the difference between a normal degree and a medical degree is that I was basically at uni full-time I remember everyone else used to go off for like a massive summer break because I was on a four-year fast track we didn't really have much time off in the summer at all and it was hard to fit in work whereas on my undergrad degree I had loads of time to be honest with you and that's just yeah you know just if you can be earning on a Friday and Saturday night whilst everyone else is out spending I think you're gonna be in a good position but it does take its toll in other ways as you said so that's kind of a good overview of the extra costs of training as a doctor really but can we loop back around to this NHS bursary issue because this is a massive massive barrier to getting people from what should we just say normal families like me and you into medicine because I just can't believe that this is actually a thing that still hasn't been fixed yeah absolutely and so the doctor association UK you know got some good information about this and it's a hashtag that started on Twitter the livable NHS bursary campaign and it is a real life problem that it's really important that we try and do something about so for those who don't know from your fourth year well, for an undergraduate degree, you can apply for the NHS bursary. And once you apply for that, you can only get the basic rate of student finance. So the basic rate of student finance works out about two and a half thousand. For me, when I was at university, it was about £2,300 for the year. And then on top of that, you get the NHS bursary, which for me worked out at about £80 a month. So, you know, that left you with not much over £3,000, £3,500 to live on for the year, which it's really difficult if you can't work. And for me, so I was intercalating at the time. And unfortunately, as I said, due to family illness, I was having to go back home to Nottingham every weekend. So I just couldn't work during that time. And it made things really, really difficult. The NHS bursary as it stands. So the maximum that people can get is just over six and a half thousand pounds to live on for the year, which, you know, when you're factoring in the cost that we've just spoken about, the additional costs of being at medical school, you've already been there for four years, probably you know, got into your overdraft, you might have credit card debt, can cause a lot of stress. So, you know, there's definitely some work to be done there. Yeah, definitely. And another massive expense of medical school where often 
you can see a bit of a difference between people from normal families, shall we say, and those from wealthier backgrounds. And by the way, if you are from a wealthier background, at some point, someone in your family has worked incredibly hard to make their wealth. So congratulations. There's nothing about trying to drive a wedge between us here, but elective, because some people go on like absolutely glamour electives to the other side of the world. How can you go on an elective on a budget? So I, in the end, had to choose between integrating and going on an elective abroad. My best mates, they went over to South America and looked like they had an absolutely brilliant time. And it's something that I'm looking back, you know, gutted that I wasn't able to do, but I couldn't. So I had to do my elective in the UK. But I think clinically I had a great experience and I wouldn't knock it at all. I spent some time at home, living at home, doing anaesthetics in Nottingham and then a little bit of time back in Manchester as well. Coincidentally, it was the year that England made the semi-finals. So, you know, that was a pretty good summer and football, you know, it nearly came home. So I can't be too disappointed, but, you know, unfortunately did miss out on that opportunity to go abroad. So sometimes, you know, you do have to make those difficult choices. In hindsight, I would maybe have tried to have found a way to save more to enable me to go on that elective but you know they can easily for six seven eight weeks you can easily spend three four thousand pounds if not more which you know is a huge chunk of money and I guess you know there are options around that you know credit cards loans but you all end up with this bad debt which you know is just adding to the problem and so it's a cost that you don't really anticipate as a medical student for elective. Yeah I'm not sure how it is now but certainly when I was a medical student there was all kinds of bursaries and essay competitions and project competitions that you could enter so I did really well there and also I went with a faith-based organization which might not be everyone's preference but they worked in Belize which was amazing so that was the way I did it on the cheap really so faith-based organization covered almost all bills and everything like that I think I had to front the flights, but that was back in the age of nice, cheap airfare. And yeah, and then the bursaries, and they were sort of like, I don't know if they were from the university, but yeah, you could just get bursaries through elective and stuff. And hardly anyone was applying. And I was like, well, I'm definitely going to apply, like got to be in it to win it. And because no one applied, I think I won because <laughs> yeah. it was a competition of one. So yeah, I don't know if that's still a thing or not. I don't know if it wasn't for me, but I know that, you know, certain universities do still offer that. So, you know, that option is there, absolutely. So you've done all that, you've survived medical school, you've probably got a ton of student debt, you've got, unfortunately, some credit card debt. I had something called a professional studies loan. Again, I'm not sure if that is a thing. So basically, when you burnt for your student loan, you either had two options. You could do a credit card, not ideal, or you could get this professional studies loan, which was from a bank, but it was on quite preferential rates. So that was basically what saved my bacon. And again, I got incredibly lucky there because when I took it out, in i'm showing my age now 2003 interest rates are really high and you could either go variable or fixed so i think interest rates were like seven percent at the time and they offered me a fix at eight percent or variable at 0.75 above base and i was like i'm really down on my luck i'm just going to gamble and go 0.75 above base on a variable and they were like this is insanity interest rates are only going up we're offering you an eight percent fix for the lifetime of the loan i was like no i'm all in i'm gambling and then of course financial crisis came along and that sorted me right out. So I was borrowing. Perfect timing. Oh, it's just dream. And that is through absolutely no financial skill other than just being down on my luck and literally taking a gamble. And if that gamble had gone the wrong way, I'd have been in a big spot. So that's kind of how I did it. But then you've done all that and then you get into F1 and the financial challenges do not stop there, do they? No, no. And I think 
I was so excited about starting work and finally earning, you know, good wage, but it takes a little bit of time. So I qualified two years ago and it coincided with the start of COVID. So I'd had, you know, four months prior where I wasn't working and I couldn't do the interim stuff. I don't know if you knew about the interim foundation jobs where they got some F1s to start early. So certain F1s who started early were getting interim pay, which helps you know you're essentially getting two or three extra months of wages before you started but for those that couldn't do that and for medical students at the moment who there's no options to do that you start your foundation years with you you know you, you don't get your first pay until the end of august in that time you've probably moved into a new flat a new city and you've had to pay your deposit you've had to pay your first month of rent and you have to live for that first month which leaves a massive gap which is really hard to film and you know there's often chat amongst the seniors and i'll make sure you know you buy the f1's lunch in that first month but it's something that you know you can joke about it but it can be quite challenging and if you don't have anyone who you can ask for money you end up you know as you say taking out loans or accruing bad debt or you know having to find other ways to go through it so it's something that i think as a medical student from around fourth year onwards it's something you need to be kind of preparing for trying to put away a little bit of money every month if you can to prepare yourself for that and you know something in the region of of 1500 to 2000 pounds would probably cover you for that period and then obviously you know you're starting to get paid you can start to pay off your overdraft and pay off those debts from the start but it's something that's important to think about when you get to the end of training yeah, that month between starting your first job and receiving your first paycheck, I did not anticipate it in any way, like you just said. And that felt like one of the longest months of my life because I was basically on the limit of everything. Everything was maxed. And then and then I was just waiting for the pay to come. And honestly, it was one of the longest months of my life. And then the pay did come. And I looked at the size of my debt repayments versus what pay had come. And I was just in a blind panic. And basically that moment right there is where Medic's money started. Because I was pretty naive about what doctors earned. And I just kind of assumed that we'd be reasonably well paid. And I'm not saying we're not, but I'm just saying when I got my first paycheck, I looked at my outgoings, like minimum payments that I needed to make on my debts. And I was in a panic. So I was like, right, I need you to up my game in all respects here. Like nothing is going to happen automatically here. Yes, I've done medical school, but nothing's automatic and that was a pivotal moment for me but yeah that first month was a long month so okay yeah and you know and that leads i guess into you know how you can prepare yourself for give yourself a good financial foundation for when you go through and i was listening to your podcast with emma runswick from the bma doctors vote yep talking about doctors vote and you're right in what you say i've got a 10 year old sister you know and she says oh no max you're a rich doctor now you can buy me an ice cream you can do all this you joke about that but it's not, you know, it's not always the case and, and doctors are paid well, but you're not as sorted as you think you might be when you finish. Definitely. Yeah. I was in a blind panic because I'd been blissfully naive until that point. And then that was when it dawned on me that I was at 85 grand debt hole and it wasn't yeah. all student loan. It was some credit cards and it was, yeah, like I said, the size of my debt repayments, minimum repayments versus my earnings. I was like, wow, is that, is that it? Like, this is not good. Give me some sort of things about, you know, paying off overdrafts, cash back, like, because basically you just got to be smart and hustle everything and if you hustle enough small things that adds up to a big thing and then you can use that money to repay down debt and then you're or you're on the road absolutely you know i'm a big believer in marginal gains but i think you know in finances that is as true as ever so you can get certain debit cards which offer cashback so there's one at the moment you know which will offer you a one percent cashback on all your spending and if you can use that for some of your bigger spends your bigger outgoings at the start of foundation years you know that all adds up and I would say, so 
it depends on what your arrangements are with your overdraft. I started off, I was about 1500 pounds into my overdraft and tried at the beginning of each month when I was getting paid at the start of F1 to pay off a certain amount of that every month. As soon as I got paid, send it straight into the overdraft and, and try not to touch it. But I think it's all about how you organize your finances before you get that first paycheck. So I tried to set up, as I say, a separate debit account for my daily spending. You walk about money and then I left my overdraft account, which is what I was using at university and just gradually paying it off. I think if you don't do that, it's really easy to just keep ending up in that overdraft hole. And it's too easy to spend that money if you can have them in separate accounts and gradually start paying it off. Because it's essentially a free loan, you know, for a little while. Most banks will give you that grace period when you graduate. But so mine has just turned into a normal everyday debit account which means that there's no free overdraft anymore. And fortunately, I've managed to pay that off now and start to build up other savings and things. So it wasn't a problem, but it can be a problem. So I would say to definitely try and, if you are in your overdraft, try and get another debit card, ideally with some cash back and keep those two separate for, you know, for one. Definitely. And basically what you're describing there is what finance people call pay yourself first. And this is a great tip, right? Because basically what you've just said is you've got a budget and you split your, so you've got your account, your money comes in from that account, you immediately take out the minimum amount that you need to pay off your debts and all of that other mandatory stuff. And then the rest is essentially what you have left to spend. And if you do it that way, you just get used to living on a reduced amount. And that's how I paid down my debt. I just took out what I needed to repay my debts before it didn't even really come in my account. I never really saw it. And then what was left in my account was what I could spend for the month. And then you can keep to your budget. You definitely need a budget, unfortunately. And then that's what's called pay yourself first. And the genius thing about pay, I mean, I still pay, use pay yourself first now. And 15 years later, I'm now debt free apart from my mortgage. And I'm really proud of that. But I still use pay yourself first. And now instead of that money going down to pay debt, it just instantly goes into my investments and it just goes in there automatically. And I just don't even notice it because I've become accustomed to saying, okay, this is my budget for the month and that's it. And I've never seen that other money that's gone away. It was going to paying down debt. Now it's going to grow my wealth. So pay yourself first is basically what you just described. And I find that really useful. So, and cashback, yeah. Everything just seems to be getting worse these days because I had a Santander one, two, three account, not a recommendation, but they paid 3% cashback. It was amazing. But now I've still got it, but it's gone rubbish. It's like, I think it's half percent or 1%. So, but there are still good deals about there for cashback. Great tip. And I think you're right. Marginal gains, like small amounts of savings things add up to a massive amount and if you can just keep chipping away at it like using all the things that you've described that's great exactly you know let's say you spend 1500 pounds in a month one percent of that you know 15 pounds that over the year adds up to almost 200 quid so the small amounts they do add up Absolutely. yeah and i think in a way if you are forced into a situation like this that you are forced to get good financial habits early on and long term I'm not going to say that you have an advantage if you come from a working class background, but I think it forces you to get good habits early on and good habits early on can be a massive advantage long term. Like I said, I've used pay myself first and lived on a budget for years. And as soon as I paid off my debt, I could have gone wild and had no budget, but I was like, do you know what? I'm perfectly comfortable on that amount. Just keep going and putting it in investment instead. So I think, yeah, it's definitely not an advantage to be in the situation that you and I was in, but I think if you can get those habits in early, you put yourself in a great position. Absolutely. And it's about, you know, actively doing something to help yourself, isn't it? You know, because you're not given, 
as they say, we don't have a financial education a lot of the time, particularly given from medical schools. So it forces you to go out and read about it, you know, and there's a brilliant book by John Bogle, you know, Little Common Sense Book of Investing. It's a great book. And it taught me a lot about knowing how to set up an, a very basic investment portfolio for myself for as soon as I was, you know, not paying off my overdraft anymore. And then that meant that I had a platform of various index funds, which I could just put a certain amount to every month using a regular savings. And then before you know it, it all adds up into actually, you know, you're building yourself a nice little portfolio, which if you can have that by the end of F2, that's fantastic, you know. And then when you start to earn a little bit more, or you, let's say you do some F3, F4 work, or you do any locum work, you can really start to build that up. Yeah. I'm probably going to get cancelled for saying this, but if you can live a working class lifestyle on a middle class salary and invest the difference, trust me, you're going to be fine. Hopefully it doesn't offend anyone, but you know, like, yeah, I still drive a beta car. I still shop around and do all of this cashback stuff. And maybe, maybe it's not 100% necessary for me, but it is really because it just like you say marginal gains you can just keep gaining and if you've never had the idea of a financial safety net like when i was at uni i knew if i racked up debt it was my debt no one was going to bail me out and that was fine once you do have a financial safety net it's an amazing feeling but you just want to keep it going and not kind of waste it and i don't know i did a podcast about how i'm trying to train my children with that kind of thing because yeah they're definitely having a different experience growing up than i did and it's kind of had to install that in them and i'm not sure. I'll, I'll let you know how that goes, but <laughs> it's a work in progress. But so anything else, like any other tricks, tips, or other hustles? So I think, as I said, it's good to build up those foundations. And I think for me, when I started my F1, I'd had too much time to myself during COVID and had read too much about it, but ended up with, I had, as I said, I had my account with my overdraft in it and I had another debit account. I had a savings account for cash and an investment you know stocks and shares isa which are used for for my investments you know you've also got your lifetime isa which you can either use to i'm sure you know most listeners are going to know this already but to buy your first house or to take when you retire and then various other bits one thing that i've just got which is strange to get used to as a credit card because i think it was important for me to start building up a credit rating getting to the point where i'd really like to be able to buy a house and so I needed to start thinking about that, which is a bit of a shift in mindset having a credit card. But it's the same thing, you know, it's just making sure that you don't overspend and that you can pay that off each month. I've deliberately done it just to increase my credit rating. So, you know, I'm only using it for various, you know, certain predefined spends. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting wider point that people don't realize how much psychology there is in money. So I had all this debt. A lot of it was bad debt, credit cards, bank loans, etc., I paid it all off. And then for about two years, I said I was debt free apart from my mortgage. It's not quite true. I paid it all off. And then I became a GP partner. And you have to buy in or some practice have to buy in for the share of the practice. And that involved taking out another massive debt. And I was just so scared of debt because I just paid it all off. And it was it was hard. Like, you know, there's a lot of debt to pay down. And then I needed to take out a new debt in order to kind of advance my career into being a partner. And I was just scared of it, basically. And my knee jerk reaction was like, nope, no more debt. But this is where like something that you touched on earlier about good debt versus bad debt. So bad debt is high interest rate credit card debt, car loans, you know, generally buys an asset that depreciates the gp loan buys me a share of a gp business and the interest rates are good and it's a sort of good debt but i was just scared of getting in debt and i had literally been debt free for two years and then someone came along and go 
good news, you can join as a partner. Bad news, you got to take out this massive loan. And I was like, no, I'm not doing it. And then everyone was like, hold on, run the numbers, stay calm. It's good debt. And then, yeah, I did it. So it's a good move. But those things stick with you. So it's interesting you talking about the aversion to having a credit card. I mean, I have one now. I repay the balance every month and I mainly use it for cashback. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm trying to save up some air miles points to try and do some work out in Australia if I can. That's what I'm using mine for. But, you know, I think if you have built yourself up, you know, that financial safety net, you've got a decent amount of savings and then you can start to be slightly more experimental and you can feel a bit more safe when the good debt comes along and you know that you're sorted in the other areas. And so it's one less thing to think about, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. And if you're not used to having a financial safety net, when you do get one, you can sort of forget that you've got it in a way. And yeah, the repayments are fine. Not going to be terrible like when I was paying off my other debt. So, but it does... The psychology of money is really fascinating to me and we all have different experiences of money and that leads us to do different and sometimes silly things. And I nearly did a silly thing there, but luckily someone sat me down and showed me the numbers. I think it was Ed actually, he likes numbers. Okay, another thing that I've just remembered and I'm not sure if we go and talk about this, but if you are in a lot of debt, you just cannot be going into a high cost of living F1 job like London or other central cities, in my opinion. So regular listeners might know, I went to Jersey in the Channel Islands for my F1, touted as career suicide, a complete backwater. You know, nobody wanted to go there. And the reason I went there is because I kind of realized I was in a tight spot. So it wasn't the highest paying F1 job. There was one in London that was a lot higher. But it was the best package overall because I got my accommodation and sorry for anyone who's in F1 right now, but I paid 700 pounds to live in the center of Jersey for a whole year, including all my bills and everything. And I really apologize about that, but that should make you realize just how much your conditions have eroded in the last 15 years. I paid that a month. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. So I got that. We got preferential tax rates in the Channel Islands. We got a 15% bonus because basically no one wanted to go there. So they were like, how can we make this attractive? And that in Jersey was where I paid down all my credit card debt. And then once I'd done that, so I had a worse debt than credit card debt, which was that I owed my mum five grand. And five grand was a ton of money to my mum. And although the interest rate was zero, I repaid that and my credit card debt. So I left Jersey with no bad debt. And that was because it was, you know, cheap to live there. The tax was great, you know, and I just think that it can be a separation. Like I probably wouldn't want to go to London, but I couldn't afford to go to do an F1 job in London. No way. And as it was, Jersey turned out amazing. It's not a career backwater. Like they said, I went there with a few friends and one's a neurosurgeon, one's an ITU consultant, two are GPs. So clearly like GPs smashing it. The other specialty is not that great, but it's not that bad. So what do you think about that? I think so. I live in Manchester and the cost of living in Manchester at the moment has skyrocketed and i know that you can say that all over the country but it really has and i saw an article the other day that said that you know people in manchester have got the least amount of disposable income in the uk and you don't get the top up that you would get if you are working in london and however that said you know i've got friends who were f1s in london and they could not believe the quality of the facts that we get here compared to in london because i know the top up doesn't really stretch that far over the year but it is expensive and I think if you are living in a city centre anywhere you know Nottingham Manchester Birmingham you know Sheffield to a degree and obviously anywhere down south it is really expensive it's a tricky one because you could work let's say you work in Preston or you work out in Oldham a lot of F1s will want to commute from Manchester because that's where the social scene is there's a lot 
more going on in general, but it's so much cheaper to live out in the other places. And it's that balance that you've got to kind of strike with yourself and, you know, think about what is going to be best for you if you're in a position to have that choice. Yeah, definitely. And I think if you're in a tight spot money-wise, these are the kind of choices that you have to make. And that's a choice I made and it turned out, you know, really great. And I was super happy with it, but you're forced into that kind of choice. And I think if you've got a lot of bad debt and you're really struggling with money, you don't really have any business getting a job in a high cost of living area as a doctor. Unfortunately, that might be a controversial opinion, but this is what you got to do to get yourself out of that hole. And like I said, I repaid down my two worst debts, which was my credit card and the debt to my mum. So yeah, it worked out well for me. I think I, uh, by living in Manchester, I've probably made the choice of buying a house slightly later and renting for longer, which, you know, isn't ideal. But given my previous experiences, I wanted to be able to, you know, and try and enjoy myself a little bit more. But, you know, if I'd lived out somewhere a little bit further out of Manchester where the rent is cheaper, probably would have been able to put a deposit down on a house by now. So, you know, as you say, it's just it's making that choice, isn't it, that is right for you in that situation. Definitely. All about the informed choice and yeah like the cost of living pretty pretty crazy at the moment for everyone and you know people that i went to school with will be a lot worse affected by it than i will and that is important to recognize that you know we're not pleading poverty here we're just stating the facts of being a doctor coming from a lower background but yeah so okay great max i know you got teaching and you've just finished a ward round and it took us absolutely ages to schedule this podcast because lining up to busy doctor schedules is difficult what would you sort of say you're f2 now like so what do you think someone's listening to this in a blind panic would you do it again give us the like give us your opinion i would do it again absolutely i think if i would have tried to start my financial education sooner and you know me and my dad now we have long chats regular chats about how we organize our finances and things i think it's just really important to be open and talk about it and have those conversations with people and the more you do that the more you're going to learn and the more you can give yourself that step up and get yourself to a good level so i'd say you know as with most things communication has got to be the most important thing having those conversations listening to podcasts reading books and then when you do start to earn some money you can make sure that you're doing the best with it from an early stage Definitely. If as doctors, we spent 1% of uh, as much time as we do learning medicine on our finances, we'd be absolutely fine. Absolutely no problem. There's just nobody teaches us that stuff, which is definitely why we started Makes Money. Max, that was so useful. Thank you for sharing your story as well. And I hope that by sharing the story, it's going to help others who might be in a similar position because it is an added level of stress in an already stressful situation. But like Max says, if you start your education early, you are going to be absolutely fine. And yeah, I've definitely got no regrets about being a doctor. And when I was probably <laughs> about an ST3 and still paying down medical student debts, I might have given you a different answer, but... Don't get me wrong. There are some days, some mornings when you think, oh, shouldn't have done this, should have been a dentist, but you know, we made our choices. The drill of the dentist makes me feel a bit sort of sick and a bit scared. So a dentistry is out for me. So I think my school careers advisor recommended me, I don't know if they still do this, but you like fill in a little test and it says like, what do you like? I like working with my hands, working outside. And they were like, you're going to be a tree surgeon. I was like, what? (laughs) 
it would have been a nice way of life mm, i'm not big on heights so they didn't ask me True. about heights they just said <laughs> so i'd have to chop like six foot trees which probably wouldn't have been good but no, i get paid reasonably to help people and make them better and in my opinion that is the best job in the world but like i said before the only other jobs i've had are bar waiter pool lifeguard and things like that so Take from that what you will. But Max, that was really great. Thanks for your time today. And we should come on again, like to keep a track of how you're going and maybe in a year or so, see how things are going. I'd love to. Thanks very much for having me, Tommy. It's been brilliant. Take care.